When you're looking for a new computer or need help with one you already own, call 231-8000 and Madison Computer Works will get things up and running for you. Madison Computer Works, computers that work for you. Welcome to another podcast at SliceOffice.com brought to you by the Operating Engineers, Local 139, and the Madison Teamsters, Local 695. All right, John, uh, Morning Joe today put a little montage together that I think you'll find interesting. This takes a, a, a couple minutes, but I think it's well worth it. Take a look. One of the great features of America is that uh, we have political contests, that they are very hard fought, as this one is hard fought. And once the decision is made, we unite behind the man who is elected. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. I have no bitterness, no rancor at all. I say to the president, as a, as a fellow politician, that he did a wonderful job. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. I have lost. Mr. Nixon has won. The democratic process has worked its will. So now let's get on with the urgent task of uniting our country. This is a very big moment. This is a major fraud in our nation. We want the law to be used in a proper manner. Congratulations on your victory. I hope that in the next four years, you will lead us to a time of peace abroad and justice at home. You have my full support in such efforts. We'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop. We don't want them to find any ballots at 4 o'clock in the morning and add them to the list. The president asked me to tell you that he telephoned President-elect Carter a short time ago and congratulated him on his victory. It's a very sad moment. To me, this is a very sad moment. And we will win this. And as far as I'm concerned, we already have won it. The people of the United States have made their choice. And of course, I accept that decision. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. He has won. We are all Americans. He is our president. And we honor him tonight. If you count the illegal votes, they can try to steal the election from us. He will be our president, and we'll work with him. This nation faces major challenges ahead, and we must work together. As everybody saw, we won by historic numbers. There is important work to be done, and America must always come first. So we will get behind this new president and wish him, wish him well. Democrat officials never believed they could win this election honestly. I really believe that. That's why they did the mail-in ballots where there's tremendous corruption and fraud. I have said repeatedly in this campaign that the president is my opponent, not my enemy. And I wish him well and I pledge my support. I've had two elections. I won both of them. It's amazing. And, And I actually did much better on the second one. This is America. Just as we fight hard when the stakes are high, we close ranks and come together when the contest is done. That was a rigged election, but we're still fighting it, and you'll see what's going to happen. But in an American election, 
there are no losers. Because whether or not our candidates are successful, the next morning we all wake up as Americans. We will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. You don't concede when there's theft involved. Whatever our differences, we are fellow Americans. And please believe me when I say no association has ever meant more to me than that. And to use a favorite term that all of you people really came up with, we will stop the steal. I so wish that I had been able to fulfill your hopes to lead the country in a different direction, but the nation chose another leader, and so Ann and I join with you to earnestly pray for him and for this great nation. When you catch somebody in a fraud, you're allowed to go by very different rules. So I hope Mike has the courage to do what he has to do. Donald Trump is going to be our president. We owe him an open mind and the chance to lead. Our constitutional democracy enshrines the peaceful transfer of power. And we don't just respect that, we cherish it. And we fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. There you go. Isn't that something, huh? That was something. And you know who I think, I'll tell you, I think there were three people there for whom the, the concession was hardest. Um, and they were all Democrats, by the way. It was McGovern in 72 because he was a deeply moral man who honestly wanted to end the war in Vietnam and thought he could do so quickly, um, among other things. Uh, it was uh, um, Gore in... 2000 because he knew he had won right and that he just at a certain point had to stop a process because he felt it was for the good of the country i actually disagreed with him on, on that one and then the final one was hillary clinton who i think also uh looked at those popular vote totals and knew that she was the choice of the country. right yeah very difficult situations and uh, obviously nixon's concession in 60 he had lost a very close election but here's the, here's the yeah. difference. You know, when I first started listening to Rush Limbaugh in 1988, he would always refer to Michael, and this was after the election, he would always refer to Michael Dukakis as the loser. That whole yeah. mindset and the divisiveness that's sort of come along over the last 35 years or so uh, is that they view all those concession speeches and those people as losers because they lost and they admit they lost. Well, that's, that's the that's the whole that's kind of the whole mindset now. Oh, I, yeah, I think that the the Limbaugh and the Trump, you know, right wing media into the current leadership of the Republican Party, um, they they could care less about the Democrats. The Democrat concessions don't bother them at all, and they you know they probably don't listen to them a second time. They care about the Republicans, mm -hmm. and they hate. I mean, you know, as it's always been said to me. The, the disdain um, that the current Republican, you know, kind of at least the, the committed class of the party, not the, the business class of the party, the current Republican leadership, uh, I think, really is far more at odds with other Republicans than it is with uh, with Democrats, because for them, the the feeling is if only. They themselves, this individual, in this case Trump, but also I would argue, even in some cases like a McConnell or somebody, if they themselves had been in charge, the concession wouldn't have been necessary. 
Here's another clip from yesterday. Former president's appearance in court. Any conviction in D.C. against Donald Trump is not legitimate. So they're accusing, they're, they're, they're charging him with a crime of taking bad legal advice. That's what this is about. They're trying to criminalize the attorney-client relationship. They're trying to criminalize exercising of the First Amendment. The, the judge in this case hates Trump. You could convict Trump of uh, kidnapping Lindbergh's baby in D.C. You need to have a change of venue. You need a new judge. And we need to win in 2024 to stop this crazy crap. Now, he's an attorney mm-hmm. who hey, has actually, served in the yeah, military. I, I think... Staff judge advocate. School. Right. Yeah, yeah. He's uh-huh. actually a very, uh, an attorney who, by the nature of the, and my dad was in it, by the, the nature of military law, um, has to be maybe doubly precise as regards a whole bunch of things. It's an interesting dynamic of that, of that work. Um, and so he knows exactly that he's wrong. And, um, and, you know, it's just an interesting thing there, too, because um, what you heard there was something that really is rooted in a certain sector of the law. And that is when you don't have a defense, but your client doesn't want to acknowledge his or her crime, um, your defense becomes to throw everything you've got at the wall and hope that something sticks. And so you've got change of venue, bad judge, um, you know, criminalizing the First Amendment, uh, criminal, you know, violating attorney-client privilege. You know, it's like, it's like but not... In any of those words that, that Lindsey Graham threw, did you hear, well, of course, Trump is innocent. You did not. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's interesting. I saw a documentary about Studio 54 the other day, and I was unaware that those guys didn't pay taxes and had broken all kinds of laws. Yeah. So they hired Roy Cohen as their attorney. Fixer. Yeah. Attorney, uh-huh. Right. So the first thing Cohen did is he went to studio where they had done a, the uh, government had done a search of Studio 54, and they, they were very careful. Roy Cohn went into Studio 54 and started turning tables and chairs over and then got the cameras there and said, look what they did to my, look what they did to my client's establishment. <laughs> that, was, that was how Roy Cohn played because he knew he didn't have a shot at winning an honest no argument. There was no case. And you know why Roy, yeah. you know Roy, Cohen, Roy Cohen did that? Because in the 1950s, when he had no case, and he was at the side of Joe McCarthy, um, he ruined people's lives um, by innuendo. And it doesn't mean that there weren't some people that they went after who, you know, had in fact been communists. That's true. Uh, but remember, they'd been communists when the Communist Party was legal in the United States. And also, they went after a lot of people who weren't and yet, by guilt by association, by um, false claims, just completely false claims, which kind of kept moving, um, they basically wrote the narrative of the country for a number of years. And so I think that, that Cohen got a very bad lesson in the 50s, which he carried, you know, well into the, 20, well into the latter years of the 20th century. Well, here's another And by the way, his client, Donald Trump, learned a lot from that. And from Richard Nixon. He learned a lot yeah. from Richard Nixon, didn't he? I, you know, we, we really should not talk about how great that pardon was from President Ford. No, it was an indefensible pardon. It was, a, yeah. it was a terrible, terrible thing that we're paying a price for today. Right now. And if I, can I just interrupt for one sec? I'll say also that it relates to the current moment, right? 
because in the current moment, the great struggle is with this question whether a president is a king, right, and whether a former president carries kingly powers uh, into the post-presidential era. The painful fact of our times, as Arthur Schlesinger Jr. pointed out in the imperial presidency, is that we have an imperial presidency. But by and large, our presidents do serve as kings for four years. The question is whether they carry their royalism into their post-presidential time. And what Ford did so incredibly wrong at that moment was to allow Nixon effectively to do that. And if you look at the current moment, that's exactly what Trump is trying to do. He is trying to effectively claim in a post-presidential period that he is effectively above the law. Well, I think we need to have a discussion about that memo from the Justice Department saying the president can't be charged while he's in office. That needs to go. Mm -hmm. Who wrote that, by the way? I don't know who who did write it. I think that that you know it's an interesting thing that uh, I believe Justice Kavanaugh had a hand in it back <laughs> in those days, uh, or at least had a hand in one interpretation of it. And um, this is it, it's interesting that when Kavanaugh was in play as a nominee for for the High Court, there were so many reasons to reject him, right? And so many good arguments which we could spend a whole show on. But one of the ones that was under discussed was that when Kavanaugh had worked in the Bush White House. He had been very central to, again, this imperializing of the presidency, this, this notion that the presidency really is above the, the rule of law, and, and by extension from that, above the American people, right? And that is a kingly power. That's exactly what the Constitution was written to avoid. All right, here's another clip. Ultimately, what President Trump said is, let's go with option D. Let's just halt, let's just pause the voting and allow the state legislatures to take one last look and make a determination as to, the, as to whether or not the elections yeah. were handled fairly. That's constitutional law. That's not an issue of, of criminal activity. Uh, that is Donald Trump's attorney, John Laurel, yeah. on television last night. Um, admitting his client's guilt. Effectively. And by the way, can I just also point out... And by the way, what is he doing on television? Good defense attorneys are not on television in a case no, like they're this. Not, they're not trying to build up their practice by, uh, you know, like going on TV and stuff. Uh, it's like, that's like a mall lawyer, right? You know, it's like, you can, you can find me down on, on, on exit nine, you know, in the shopping mall. That's where my office is. Um, but... Uh, do you know who else said something almost identical to that? Uh, very, very parallel. If you go back and read from uh, December of 2020, that was Pat Rogensack's argument um, for why Wisconsin's votes should be, you know, like why, why the Republicans, the Trump lawsuit should be upheld in Wisconsin. If you go back and read what she wrote, it was like, well, there's a lot of people that don't think, don't like the results of this election, and so we ought to pause and do one more check on it. Lawless. That's all I have to say is lawless. We'll take a break. John Nichols from the Capital Times and The Nation with us at SliceOffice.com. Similar to a well-tuned automobile, a guitar requires the same level of attention to perform at its very best. No matter how expensive your guitar may be, we will treat you and your instrument with the utmost respect. Call 920-723-1733 or visit jeffsguitar.com. Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Ford Atkinson, we love guitars. The attorneys at Jingris, Thompson & Wax have had the honor of receiving numerous awards for their work 
both in and outside the courtroom. But just as important as receiving accolades for being skilled attorneys, it's equally important to give back to the community in which they live and work. If you want a personal attorney that can help you in so many different areas, they've got them. They're in Eau Claire, Madison, Milwaukee, and Waukesha. They're easy to reach. GTWlawyers.com. That's GTWlawyers. All right, we're back at SliceOffice.com, brought to you by Madison Computer Works and Jeff's Guitar Clinic. All right, here's another clip for you, John Nichols from the Capital Times. Former president's appearance in court. Any conviction in D.C. against Donald Trump. Oh, that's Miss Lindsay again. We got, well, I've already played that one for you here. Hang on a second. Let's see if this is it. Right now. Ultimately, what President nah, we'll get January it. 6th. Let's be clear on this point. It wasn't just that they asked for a pause. Uh, the president uh, specifically asked me and his gaggle of, uh, of crackpot lawyers asked me to literally reject votes, to, which would have resulted in, uh, in the issue being turned over to the House of Representatives and literally chaos would have ensued. President Trump asked me to put him over the Constitution, but I chose the Constitution and I always will. I mean, I, I, uh, I really do believe that uh, anyone who puts themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States. And anyone who asks someone else to put themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States again. Well, that's one of the star witnesses in the prosecution, Mike Pence, who has now decided to take a very different tact in his race to become president. Well, I think, first and foremost, I think what we can say is Mike Pence has decided to run for president. Right. Right. He's, he's looked at his circumstance. He said, I'm, I'm literally polling at, you know, Scott Walker levels, right? You know, 0.5. And I... Excuse I mean, me just a sec. Is Scott Walker forever a punchline for terrible candidacies? Yeah, he, is, he is the, he is a, well, he is the embodiment of, of failure as yeah. a candidate for the Republican nomination. And so he was in the Scott Walker territory. Obviously, that's been ceded to, my, to Ron DeSantis. But um, Mike Pence has decided, interestingly enough, that he's going to try and climb out of that, Right. And, and make his play. So you see at once the political side to it and, and that we can mock, you know, as, as we often do. But I think in fairness to Pence, and this is a weird thing for me to say, uh, but in fairness to Pence, he's got the receipts that allow him to say that, right? And for the first time, he is now actually saying it in the way that he should. Now, what loosened him up to do this? Why didn't he do it when he wrote his book? Why didn't he do it in, in other settings? I think what, what has happened here is that he looked at, at what, you know, was produced, you know, in this indictment and realized there's no way he can walk away from his role here now, right? There's no way he can, you know, kind of fuzz the margins on it. And so for him, um, he effectively is, the guy who went on, it was going out to, to take on the king, right? If you try to take on the king, you better succeed. And, um, and so I think this is a, a, a worthy moment to focus on Pence, a critical turning point for him politically. I don't think by any measure that it's going to make him president of the United States. I just don't see that coming at, at any level. But I do think that he might, in this moment, become a much more significant challenger to Trump. And how fascinating now that you've got a Pence-Chris Christie 
and Will Hurd section of the Republican presidential race, uh, three candidates who are pretty much out there saying, you know, Trump's guilty. Well, it sure looks to me like Mike Pence and, uh, let's see, uh, Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, are going to be yep. two of the main witnesses in this trial. And that's, and that's why this trial becomes, I, I think we have to start to readjust our thinking about this trial. One, this trial's going to take a long time to come to the trial. I, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a slow and difficult process. Um, that's one of the reasons they're attacking the judge so aggressively at this point, because they don't, I don't think they think they're going to get another judge, but I think they want to make this judge um, dot I's and cross T's, go slower, be more, you know, be more meticulous. And, and that's, that's, you know, that's standard trick by, by lawyers that want to drag out a trial. But with that said, when this trial comes to fruition, when it actually occurs, uh, if it does occur during the course of the presidential race, which is within the realm of reason, um, it's it's going to do two things. One, it's, I think it's going to be very tremendously damaging to Trump because you are going to see people closest to him calling him out. Um, but two, I think it does destabilize the presidential race line. I mean, are, are we going to have a discussion about education funding? <laughs> no. It's, it, this is <laughs> think about think about what the summer of 2024. If indeed they delay the case as, as far as I think they may. Um, think about what that's going to be. I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's an astounding moment in American history, which Donald Trump brought on us. Um, again, I think it prevents him from becoming president, ultimately. But I do think that it also does what Trump, the real impact of Trump's participation in our politics is, it basically brought the country to a halt. And we've been on sort of a, a holding mode now for you know, eight years and attack and attack institutions. We've had every yeah, institution yeah. in in our government and Madisonian democracy attacked. All right, here uh, here is Rudolph Giuliani reacting to Mike Pence. And to be described as uh, what what did he what did Pence say? Oh, I don't think he's ever been in a courtroom, and he went to a law school. Nobody even knows. I mean, that guy is the that guy. I mean, I thought before. This all happened. He was a really good guy, but too weak to be president. I always worried about him following Trump because I would see him with his wife having something around his neck every night and walking around. She, she doesn't let him go to the. She lets him go to the bathroom by himself. That's about it. But imagine that skunk doing what he did today. I mean, he 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 he. If you can't separate Trump from the First Amendment issue here then you're just not a good person. This is not about Trump. If, if this were being done to my worst enemy, I would be fighting the case for them. That would be unindicted co-conspirator number, conspirator number one, John. Yeah, um, you know, and I, I think he's, he is, uh, he's kind of shown the, the, the real desperation of his, of his circumstance there. I mean, when you start to attack somebody's, the law school that somebody went to, and, and, and Pence went to Indiana University's law school, it would be like going, you know, it would be going to Madison. Minnesota's law school yeah. or Wisconsin. If, if, that, if that makes you a bad lawyer, right, then there are the vast majority, the overwhelming majority of lawyers in America, um, you got to write off, right? So what Giuliani's really trying to do there is sort of a desperate ploy, not for other lawyers, by the way, because they know that's bogus. But 
for um, you know kind of general consumption on the part of the, the Trump base. And that's where Giuliani's at at this point. Now, he is a co-conspirator. What he's signaling there is that he's going to be loyal to, to Trump. He's not going to turn on him, uh, which is one of the interesting things in Smith's indictment, that he doesn't name the co-conspirators, right? He leaves open, I think, a lot of possibility for some of them to turn on Trump. And some may. Uh, but, but Giuliani was signaling, hey, you got no trouble with me. I'm, I'm going to be with you, boss. Um, the other thing, by the way, as long as we bring up co-conspirators, and Trump names co-conspirators, but boy, or I mean, uh, Pence Smith. What's that now? Name. Say that I, you broke up. You can pause there. Yeah, I apologize. Smith did not name the co-conspirators he listed, right? Um, nor did he name the people who, who could be co-conspirators. Uh, but I hope you noticed the significant section on Ron Johnson in the indictment. I did notice that. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. I, I, as yet, I think we haven't really heard a lot from Ron Johnson on, on what is shaping up as uh, what could be a pretty significant part of the trial. I bet you, if this is a long trial, I bet you get several days here on that moment where a what a guy identified as a senator um, is uh, trying to complete the circle of what Smith scopes out as uh, Trump's play. And Trump's play is to set up these fake electors, right, to pressure Pence to accept them, and then for somebody to actually deliver them. And it's very interesting that the senator from Wisconsin becomes the figure at the, at the heart of that, uh, of that mission, of that process. Well, I hope they're listening to all the podcasts of Ron Johnson on various conservative talk shows in Wisconsin because he does them almost daily. And you can bet he pontificated on that moment once people started pointing fingers. They ought to do some. Uh, they ought to do some listening because he's probably incriminated himself at some point. Well, uh, I think at the very least, why they should have at least kind of figure out whether it was a couple seconds or a couple minutes or a couple hours. Because remember, in his many many answers to questions about this, the timeline kind of kept evolving. All right, before we go, I want to talk about uh, the swearing in of now Supreme Court Justice Janet Protasiewicz and the controversy over Randy Koshnick, former circuit court judge from Jefferson County, 2009 opponent of Shirley Abramson. He got beat 60 to 40, uh, obviously needed a job. And when they took the court away from Shirley and installed Randy Koshnick. I don't think it was a coincidence that they picked someone that had run against her in the uh, the war that's been going on in the Supreme Court. So she was fired uh, on the telephone by Jill Karofsky, Justice Karofsky, uh, the night before Janet Protasiewicz's uh, investiture. Uh, your thoughts about this situation? Well, look, um, it was a petty move to hire this guy. Right? Obviously, as you're saying, that you're hiring the opponent of the person you are deposing as Chief Justice after a multi-year struggle to move her out, despite the fact that by just about any measure, she's the most respected jurist to serve on the high court in, in the modern era, maybe in the history of the court. Um, and so uh, the whole of this controversy is rooted in a petty move by the, the former conservative majority on the court. Um, and now there's great controversy about the firing. 
you can you know take your stand on whether whether it was graceful. Um, I might have waited a little longer. Uh, but with that said, uh, the everything I hear from around the court is that uh, the justices who decided to fire this fellow are um, very comfortable that if this uh, if there is a real discussion about this, um, he isn't going to come out looking all that great. And what's interesting to me is that the Chief Justice, Justice the Chief Justice Ziegler, the current Chief Justice, wrote a, a multi-page letter that was very you know, harshly critical of the, of the firing, and yet she didn't in any way say that she was going to challenge it. Well, and she, she has the, the strangest excuse saying that she doesn't want to get more people fired. In other words, going yeah. after the liberal justices will somehow get more people fired. And I don't quite understand what she's inferring there. I mean, Nor I, do I, <laughs> I, except that I think that um, she's pointing to, I think, obliquely to some of the issues of concern as regards um, the handling of this position. Uh, again, as I, as I suggested before, I think this is going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, angry discussion about this and a lot of finger pointing and, and, and all that. But at the end of the day, I, I think this is going to go away uh, pretty quickly because uh, of the, the, the kind of partisanship that has surrounded this appointment in the first place and, and the realization that what had happened here is that a, you know, a significant position associated with the court was turned into a political sinecure, right? It was turned into a, a way of, of rewarding a political ally rather than um, doing the, the important business of court. And so uh, what I think is the, the bigger story here, ultimately, is who they put into that position. Ah, I was and, just going to bring and, that up. It, it's a Walker-appointed judge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, that's the key. If, you, if in fact, um, the next appointment to the position, right, and the accepted direction that this whole thing heads, is toward a, you know, a, a, an end to the partisanship, right? An end to the pettiness and a professionalization of what should be, you know, effectively a relatively professional position. Um, then I think that the controversy gets put in perspective and people come away from this saying, okay, yeah, you know, this new majority on the court is actually, you know, signaling that they're going to be adults in the room. They're going to clean up old messes and try and move the court in a better direction. Well, you were there when Justice Ann Walsh Bradley talked about the, the fact that the court had lost a lot of its, its mm -hmm. esteem over the last 10 years mm -hmm. and that they want to mm -hmm. return that esteem. What do you make of those comments? I think they were incredibly sincere. I think Ann Walsh Bradley um, is... The, the at this point, the great uh, kind of institutional figure on the court. She's been there the longest. She also is someone who kind of does know the history of the court, knows where it's been. She's seen it at its worst by, by any measure, um, but also she's seen it, you know, in, in much better light over the years. And I don't think there's any question that she is trying to, you know, set up a North Star to say this is where we ought to head. And I will suggest to you, she was speaking to the conservatives, of course, and I think a lot of a lot of liberals heard her speech and were very, you know, impressed with it and stuff like that. But I think she was also speaking to the liberals, and she was saying, you know, look, I've been here for a long time. I intend to be here for a while, and I would like this court 
um, to be a respected court. That means that we we got to get rid of the partisanship, get rid of the pettiness. It's not going to be easy because right now there's a battle on the court between two conservatives, right, or at least one conservative and one moderate conservative. And and so there's a lot of stuff that, that that's going to be a challenge there. But I think that Ann Walsh Bradley was effectively saying what I would guess the overwhelming majority of Wisconsinites would like to be, have said and done as regards the court. And, of course, uh, the ceremony also included the dean of the Marquette Law School. Of course, uh, Justice Protosei, which went to Marquette Law, taught there as well. But he is a former clerk to Antonin Scalia. And then, of course, they also had speaking in that lineup of former Justice Geske, who is a moderate, a Tommy Thompson appointee, a a Republican, or probably a former Republican. But the point is, is they did not make it an overtly partisan invocation. I'll go further than that. From what I understand, they tried desperately to make it even less partisan, right? Um, I think that that, uh, the other justices on the court were invited. I think there was a a genuine effort to try and, and make this a, uh, a transition moment from what the court has been, which is a mess, um, towards something better. Well, here's a lot of good signals sent there. Here's the here's the pettiness. Uh, you know what? Uh, even though Pat Rogensack said she was going to be on vacation, she stayed in her office or her office. She would not relinquish her office the last day so they could begin the transition. Which is, uh, that's interesting. That's the same thing that former Kentucky Governor Matt Bevin did with the governor's mansion a few years ago. Very similar move. And then, of course, we had Chief Justice Ziegler in New York at a, at a conference with Randy Koshnick. That's what makes this whole thing so unbelievably ironic. Now, there's a, look, unfortunately, unfortunately the, the court in this transition period is going to, you're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of focus on the court, and probably not the best ways. And one last thing I'll say, though, in in defense of Rogan Sack, uh, uh, people are elected for a full term. You want to stay in your office to the end of it. That may you know maybe that's not the most gracious thing or whatever, but uh, you've got a right to do that, and and hopefully and maybe even to be. You know, but she should have been at she should have been at the investiture. She should have been. That's where that's the difference. I would say. You know, criticizing her for staying in her office, I understand some people are doing that. I'd say you have a right to do that. Um, showing up as the immediate former chief justice and as somebody who really could be, you know, could be a bridge figure here, somebody who is actually making this making this goal of, of improving the, the image of the court, um, you know, that's what she should have done. And failing to do that, I think, another mark on her legacy and, and that legacy especially as regards the treatment of Shirley Abramson uh, is, is not a good one. John Nichols from the Capital Times and the Nation thanks for coming to SlyOffice.com It's a pleasure to be with you today brother. SlyOffice.com Thanks a million. Bye bye.